0: Good morning, everyone. Um, man, this has just been awesome. I think this is our eighth week in a row that we've been able to be out here and uh, sometimes a little warm. Today's perfect. Is it perfect out there? Yeah. Seriously. All the way back, I got some. I see that. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that you guys are here to to just come under the Word of God and and be able to hear from our Creator, the one that's given us this this joy of celebrating Him. So sometimes we read in our Bibles and things are... Pretty straightforward, pretty clear. The text that we're going to be looking at in in 1 John, one of those. But he makes a reference in there to something, another part of the Bible that is is a little bit strange. But here's what I want to do. I want to think about some of the more difficult to understand parts of the Bible. So we've got this thing called Veritas School of Theology, and we we actually wrapped up our first term already. And we've already, in term one, encountered a couple of these weird kind of mysterious passages of the Bible. One of those is in Genesis 6, for instance, where you have these sons of God and daughters of men coming together and seemingly producing some descendants. And it's really odd and really strange. You're like, why early on am I thrown such a curveball? And why did God choose to tell me this story? And what am I to make of it, right? Later on, we came to this this story um, in the book of Numbers about this guy um, Phineas or Phinehas and, and how he single-handedly in a heroic moment was able to Kind of stay back the the wrath of God and protect God's people. Anyway, a really wild, crazy story, and, and once again, you have to pull over and say, "Why is this here? And why did God want me to read this?" You know. So we we did a little bit of that. Well, there's another story that um, I want us to think about, and it has to do with um, what John is going to teach us. There's this this book called Judges, and if you've read through the book of Judges, you know. Practically every chapter has some zingers in there that you 're like ah, wow i can 't even believe that 's in the bible but there 's one part where um, there's there 's a couple of warring factions, and the bummer is with with this particular warring is they 're really relatives they 're like cousins from each other, and so it's it 's a really kind of a difficult time for god 's people where these these close relatives are are at war with one another, so one of those factions are the Gileadites, the people from Gilead, and the other ones are the Ephraimites from Ephraim. And they they get into this battle. At one point, um, the people from Ephraim kind of try to surge in and and lay claim on Gilead. The Gileadites fight them back, but then they do an end around, and they cut them off so that the Ephraimites are going to have a hard time getting back to their homeland, right? So they've been defeated, and they're trying to get back to their farms and back to their home goods. So In order for the Gileadites to figure out who the Ephraimites are so they can pick them off on their way back, right, they set up this kind of roadblock. And here's how they would know. So, again, they're really close cousins. They all look alike. And so it's hard for them to distinguish, wait, is that one of us or one of them? So here was the way that they could figure out, are you a Gileadite, one of us, or an Ephraimite, one of them, okay? Okay. Some guy would come out kind of creeping through the woods and be like, stop. Are you from Gilead? And the guy would be like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm a Gileadite, you know. And he'd say, well, say this. Say Shibboleth. And the guy, if he answered, the next word that came out of his mouth was really important. Because if he replied, Sibboleth immediate execution, because Ephraimites can't say that word right, okay? They can't pronounce it right. They say Sibboleth instead of Shibboleth, and if they dared to pronounce that word wrong, they were executed on the spot, right? It's this crazy thing. These, like, practically brothers that look alike. They can, The only difference is the pronunciation of a relatively inconsequential word. The word in Hebrew just means a gentle flowing brook, is that crazy? But I'm going to decide if you live or die based on how you pronounce gentle flowing brook. (laughs) Why do I bring all that up? Well, because a a shibboleth, you've maybe even heard that word, maybe not. Now you know one Hebrew word. Um, That has become a word that we use for any time that we try to throw down on people and distinguish between if you're one of us, or one of them based on how you answer me. So shibboleths have become these uh, um, passwords kind of a thing, right? They're they're a way for me to divide people up, a self-identification. They signal to me, um, either you're loyal to me and my clan, you're one of us, or they signal to me immediately on whatever comes out of your mouth, wait, you're, you're one of them. It's a way to segregate people, right? It sometimes protect me or I feel like you're a threat or something like that. So why do I bring that? It's, it's easy, guys. In this town, we've got these all over the place. Here's one. Are you a hawk fan? Okay, the next word that comes out of your mouth is going to mean you are either one of us or one of them, right? So we have these shibboleths in kind of inconsequential ways, right? Like I'm going to size you up, and you're immediately either going to be one of the clan or you will have to be eliminated, right? That's what a shibboleth is. What I'm saying is, you guys, um, those happen in inconsequential ways like, what team are you for? But in our day, you guys, we need the Word of God to come to us. Because in our day, I don't know if I have seen more consequential shibboleths being thrown down. Like ever in my life have I seen so many of these things getting just thrown down. A growing number of them. Every day I feel like there's another line in the sand and I'm going to ask you a question, and depending on how you answer, you're either one of us or one of them, and I'm going to treat you accordingly. The most recent one, if you live in this area, is what do you think about the Iowa City public schools? Should they open or not? And then I'm going to wait, you know, right? I know what you think, Holly. I'm going to I'm going to wait, and depending on how you answer that, right, you're either one of us or one of them and must be eliminated, right? Guys... Here's what's really frightening to me. Um, We are looking at some really complex issues coming at us, things that have to do with with COVID-19, things that have to do with racial tensions. We've got an election coming up. We've got these very complex, very large issues and often we're reducing them down to these simple binary choices. Are you with us or are you with them? And depending on where you land, depending on what you say, I'm willing to either embrace you as one of my strongest friends or kind of assassinate you with my words at that point, right? Maybe behind your back, but I am going to assassinate you with my words. You have to be eliminated. You guys, there has to be a better way for us to live than to be constantly sizing each other up with shibboleths constantly looking to see if there's a fight to be had or an ally to be won to add into my echo chamber right there has to be a better way and here's what i'm telling you the good news is there is a better way and jesus is going to bring us bring it to us today so let's let's look at that text that austin just read to us let's look a little more carefully at First John chapter three. I've got clips up here. I've got tape up here. I've got every means of keeping my notes and Bible in place up here. I hope hope you guys are able to do the same. But I love the breeze on a warm day. We're looking at First John three. We're gonna take a little bit deeper look. Austin read it for us, but look at verse eleven, because this is really the theme verse of the whole thing. In fact, if if we just got first John three, eleven down, we wouldn't even have to continue his whole thought. The, the rest of it just, just kind of flows naturally out of 1 John 3, 11, where it says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. <laughs> okay? In its simplicity, it is so profound. From the beginning, right, John is saying, Look, I was with Jesus at the beginning. Like, I saw him from the, the moment he started his earthly ministry and this is foundational. I saw this lived out. I heard this from him. You know, we should love one another. <laughs> That's it. And if we actually just embrace that with all of our hearts and souls, we wouldn't need him to elaborate on it. But unfortunately, we do need him to elaborate on it. But but here's some of the stuff that John saw from the from the beginning, guys. He he was with Jesus as he healed the sick and as he taught great truths and all this. But if you remember back in John 13, this was one of the most poignant moments where John was right there to see this happen. Jesus welcomed all of his his uh, followers to a meal. And then if you remember what happened in John 13, he himself, the most honored guest, right, creator of the universe, gets down and starts scrubbing their feet. Now, that's, that's an odd cultural moment if, if it were you and me, but that was that was exactly what should have been happening, uh, but normally a servant would have done that, like scrub their dirty feet, but no, Jesus himself, the most honored one, obviously in the room, gets down and starts scrubbing their feet, and after he's done scrubbing their feet, he says to them, look, I'm giving you a new command. Love one another. Now, the loving one another wasn't the new part. We knew already by that point that we were supposed to love one another, but he says this, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. In this new, expanded way, in a more robust way, I'm telling you, I'm I'm redefining, I'm strengthening what it means to love. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, Jesus is giving, actually, the best kind of shibboleth here. You know how you're going to know if you're in, if you're one of us, of the Jesus followers? If you love one another. If you actually serve one another, if you actually lay down your life for other people, that's going to demonstrate you're, you're one of Jesus's. But look at the very next two words in 1 John 3. We should love one another, but then this, unlike Cain. Man, what a bummer if that was your name. <laughs> Sorry if there's anybody here named Cain. Unlike Cain, you know, well, that refers us back to a story foundational to the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to read just the the handful of verses that describe why he makes this passing reference to unlike Cain. We're supposed to love one another not like Cain. Let me read from Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve had a son, and uh, she says, I've had a male child with the Lord's help, and she gave birth to his brother Abel also. And Abel became a shepherd of the flocks. Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the Lord's or the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of the flock and their fat portions. Well, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. This is really important. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. The word despondent means he put his head down. Do you guys ever, like, if you've got little ones, and they're being just grumpy and ornery, and they put their head down. Not the sad, put the head down. This is the, I'm not going to look at you. And you're saying, look in my eyes, look up here, look in my eyes, right? You've done that, right? It's like this magnetic pull. No, I'm not going to look at your eyes, right? He's, that's what's going on. He is furious and he's despondent. He won't even look up at God. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you furious? I, I don't get this. Why do you look so despondent? If you do what's right, would, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you. You must rule over it, right? That serpent that was lurking by that tree that got your mom and dad all inserted, there's still an enemy in the bushes. There's still someone lurking. An enemy is trying to pounce on you to take you captive. Make a better choice right now. Man, you, you've got it right now. Just, just do the right thing. All is good. You don't have to be furious. You don't have to be despondent. So how does Cain respond? Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. It is the most, like, shocking moment that in that moment Cain just gives in to fury, gives in to being despondent. And since he can't really take out his anger at God, he takes out his anger on his brother. Like Cain could have very easily said to his brother, "Man, I, I'm looking over and I'm realizing you you got it right, and and somehow I missed the memo of how to bring these offerings. I'm a farmer. I thought I could bring some corn. I I'm not. Can I borrow? Can I can I take one of your sheep and?" Bo- Like, let Abel guide you into doing what's right. That's what he's saying. He could just do what's right. Just follow Abel's lead and let Abel put his arm around you. Hey, man, here's what I did and it worked great. Just do this. No, 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 no. Cain instead just lets anger seethe, fury seethe, and eventually kills his own brother. It is so shocking a brother taking a brother's life. And here's what John is saying. Guys, the reason he gives us that shocking story. He's trying to say, and he does say this in chapter 3, we shouldn't be shocked if the world hates us, right? Look at verse 13. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Like, we kind of get that that's the way anger just goes unchecked, like, out there. But when anger goes unchecked among brothers and sisters... Now, that we should be shocked about. We're not supposed to be like Cain, who just gives full vent to anger and toward his brother. No, no, no. That's not the Jesus way. That's what John is saying. We should be loving one another, not like Cain. No, we should be loving one another. In fact, he's going to get so strong in those first verses there, guys, that he's basically, he says, no murderer has eternal life residing in him. He, he's saying eternal life and hatred are incompatible. Those that claim to have eternal life and yet have full vent to hatred, that's incompatible. Those two don't belong together. We should love one another. And not like Cain. So here's what I, I bringing it back to the whole Shibboleth thing. If you find yourself just constantly throwing down shibboleths, especially with your brothers and sisters looking for a way to throw down, right? Looking for either way to add them into your little echo chamber and, and call them an even tighter brother or sister, or looking for a way to say, oh, you're of them and begin to assassinate them, right? Even if behind their back. Guys, it's incompatible with our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't hate one another. We don't look for ways to vent anger We don't treat brothers and sisters in hostility. We're to love one another. From the beginning, Jesus had one clear clarion call to his people. Love one another as I have loved you. In fact, the way that they're going to know if you're in or out is actually if you love one another, that's, that's supposed to be the signal. That's supposed to be the sign that you're really in this Jesus movement. So Christ followers love. They don't hate they love. But he goes further because we need, I think, more instruction because it goes counter to the way that that, that we're um, swept along in a culture of hatred. And the second thing that he wants to bring us starting in verse 16 is that, man, Christ followers, not only do they love and not hate, they love with action. They love with action. Let me reread that for you. Verse 16, once again, gives kind of the cliff notes for the whole thing. This is how we've come to know uh, what love is. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I'm going to stop there for a second because, once again, that that verse power packs it all just in one short phrase there. We said it before. Love got redefined or at least bolstered and strengthened by Jesus. We're to lay down our lives for each other. Jesus in this way, guys, I want you to... uh, really tune into this part, because the Cain and Abel thing is really instructive for us. Not like Cain. No, instead, let's be like Jesus. Jesus is actually the perfect Abel. The perfect righteous brother. And here's what I mean by that. I want you to reimagine the Abel story. But now I want you to think about Abel in this way. Jesus would have been like this with Abel. What if... Abel, knowing that Cain was sneaking up behind him to take his life, to slit his throat, what if Abel turned in that moment and grabbed Cain's wrist? So here's Cain with a knife to plunge it into his brother. Abel, knowing that he's there, turns around and grabs his wrist. And in that moment, looks up to the heavens and says this, God, my brother is about to kill me for no justifiable reason at all but I love him. He's in a senseless rage. He doesn't even know what he's doing right now. But I want to forfeit my life for his. Once I die, count my death for his. Let him go free. And then Abel releases his grip and lets the blade find its mark. That's the power of Jesus Christ. That's the not like Cain, <laughs> way that Jesus comes to us. Jesus actually gives his life for us. Those of us who are giving into rage, those of us who are giving in anger, Jesus is like, yeah, but I love them, and I'll take the hit for them. He redefined love. He, he lays down his life for us, but then I want you to see how... John beautifully kind of condescends and lowers the bar for us because he doesn't necessarily say, well, then the only way to really express love is to actually die on behalf of somebody else, okay? He lowers the bar a lot for us. Look at what he says in verse 17. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion, how's God's love remain in him? No, little children, let us love, not just in word and speech, but action and truth. He, he's saying, you don't even have to give your life. Just give your stuff. <laughs> if you really want to love in the Jesus way, man, I'm going to lower the bars significantly. All you have to do is give some goods, some things. And if you do that, your heart, I love the way he goes on, this is how we know we really belong to the truth. We're going to reassure our hearts before him. If our hearts start condemning us in verse 20, just love like this, and I promise you, your heart will be singing. You're going to be worshiping. You're not going to be insecure about God. Do you ever have those moments, guys, where you're like, man, I wonder if I'm really pleasing Jesus right now. Man, I wonder if like that guilty conscience or, or at least weak conscience in those ways. Do you ever have those moments? Here's what John is saying. I don't want you to have a, a crippled kind of conscience. I want you to have confidence in where you are with God. So here's what you do. Start acting in love. Let me, let me tell you how this looked in my eyes this week. So we had a single mom this last week, part of our church family, that, that got into a pretty dire situation, was pretty frightened. And immediately, you guys, you would be so proud of your fellow brothers and sisters. We had whole families, like, reorient their week in order to come alongside her. We had people giving of their goods, of their time, serving her couple people actually putting their life a little bit at risk. I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I'm, I'm actually not being overly dramatic, actually putting their lives at risk. They, this church family came around her in a beautiful, beautiful way. It was just the gospel at work as love toward a sister really came just boldly in front of my eyes. Now, let me ask you a question. Any of the people that, that helped her out, do you think they went to bed that night and were like, man, I wonder if I'm really right with God. I wonder if I'm really... Ble- no, you guys. Anytime you've done something kind, something loving toward a brother or sister or somebody else, doesn't your heart just sing? Don't you just think, yeah, that was a lot of work and man, that cost me something, but man, I've never felt better in my life, right? I've never felt in tune. Why? Because God is at work. It, it, you're following the pathway of Jesus and that's what John is saying. man, we're hardwired now that if you're a Christ follower, you are hardwired to love other people the way that Jesus loves other people. And so when you step into that, when you give into not hatred, not giving full vent, vent to, to rage, instead when you give in to loving people the way Jesus would love people, oh man, your heart just worships and sings and you have full confidence in your walk with Jesus. So John just wants to help us. Like, God knows you're his, but sometimes we're insecure. He's like, man, I want you to feel so secure about where you're at with Jesus. You should just start loving the way that he loves, and man, you'll have full confidence, he says. Your heart will never condemn you. Last part of this this passage, guys. We love, we don't hate, we love with action, and lastly, Christ followers, we love because... God lives in us. It's not natural for us. We love because God lives in us. Verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. We receive what we ask for Him from him because we keep his commands. We do what's pleasing in his sight. He, he loves just to answer the, the, the prayers of his people who are walking with him. And this is the command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. Notice John's careful ordering of things there, guys. Notice the careful order. This is the command. You believe in Jesus Christ, and because of that anchor of faith in Jesus Christ, you love. You you don't, start expressing love. Therefore, Jesus, you know, will, will take you in. No, no, no. no. You believe in Jesus Christ. You realize how much you need Jesus Christ. You, that, that perfect able, the one who took the hit for you, you believe in him, you embrace him, you realize how much you need him. And as you believe in Jesus, the next, you find yourself loving. You don't take credit for it. None of the people that, that help the young mom, that's like, none of them are saying, man, I'm, I'm really good at this love thing. No. They all realize, man, that was just God flowing through me. That's that's what he's saying here, right? The The last verse there. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, he in him. Like, you... You are so sure that this is a supernatural act, that this is God at work, because that's not me, man. I would never have acted like this. I would have never given my stuff away. I'm a selfish person, but all of a sudden I found myself, my white knuckle grip just opening up and giving freely. Man, that's got to be God in me. That's got to be God stirring in me. That's got to be Jesus. The way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit that he has given us. We know it's the spirit transforming us. Guys, don't you want part of that? Don't you want John to reawaken that just fantastic love toward God and love toward others? That's what we want. So here's what I'm saying. We, unfortunately, like I said on the front end, Christians, we need this stuff because we're throwing down a lot of shibboleths around us right now. It's, it's like that cultural moment that's going on and kind of out there is invading God's church, God's people, and we find ourselves getting to the same line in the sand, are you with me or not kind of thing. Here's what Jesus is saying. I've got one shibboleth. <laughs> Do you believe in me? And if you believe, if you're going to lay claim, yes, I believe, yes, I'm that, then say this word. <laughs> and he doesn't say... I want to hear you pronounce Shibboleth. Is it Sibboleth or Shibboleth? No, no, he doesn't do that. Do you love one another? Do you love one another? The greatest, like, barometer, the greatest way to know for sure if you've been transformed in your belief toward Jesus Christ is that it has so rocked your world and transformed your soul that you find yourself supernaturally crazy loving other people and in action and in truth, not just, oh, yeah, I love all the world. No, no, no. You love the people in front of you. Guys, may God transform you, me, us, to where people will really know us, not because we check off all the right boxes and all the right going issues around, but because we love Jesus and they can see the love that we have for one another and for everyone else, right? May God May God make that true. Will you stand with me? I'd love for us to pray this into our, our souls. And just as you're standing there, just let's get into an attitude of prayer, and I just want to ask you the stirring question that John is actually asking you. Do you love one another? Just take a moment, just before him, just in the quietness of this moment, Do you love one another? And and be careful how you answer. Let the Spirit soak in. Jesus, you have loved us so fully, so completely. so profoundly so strong is your love toward us Jesus I believe I believe that you did for me the unimaginable you laid down your life for me I'm still stunned by that reality but having really pondered that and believed that Jesus, I want you to teach me how to love like that. Help me to loosen my white-knuckled grip on whatever things you've given me so I would actually find myself loving in word and indeed in action. Because that's, that's gonna honor you, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna sense <laughs> this deep connection with you. It's gonna be a beautiful thing that reassures my own heart that all is well so jesus would you do that miraculous transforming work, changing all of us from haters into lovers because that's what you do jesus thanks for one more beautiful morning to be able to worship and honor you but we wanted to go further than just this moment we want to be transformed we want to enter this whole week looking for opportunities to display the glorious transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, the love that you've given us. So hear us as we worship you, sing to you, and then transform us from this moment on. I pray in your name.